morning is from Luke chapter 24. Now, I'm not going to read it because our journey students just told us the story. If you were at the retreat yesterday, Dr. Pierre read the passage for us. Some of you have heard it twice, some of you just once. Uh, but I do invite you to have your Bible open to Luke chapter 24. We'll be in verses 13 through 35. Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. And from those uh, verses, from this passage, I'll preach from the title, Breaking Bread with Jesus. Breaking Bread with Jesus. For the uh, past couple of years, our boys have played on a youth soccer league that happens on Saturday mornings. Now, if you have ever been to a Saturday morning youth soccer league, you can probably picture the scene. There are different fields set up for the different ages. The oldest kids play on a full-size field with a regulation goal. On the other end of the age range are the, the littlest kids. The ones who are often more interested in chasing butterflies uh, than in kicking the soccer ball. And uh, even if your own child isn't among the, the youngest players, it's, it's pretty much impossible, in my experience at least, not to at least occasionally glance over at that little field to see how they're doing. It's just so ridiculous with kids <laughs> toddling around the field. Now, if, if you've ever had a niece or a nephew or a child of your own in one of those toddling teens, you might have noticed a particular thing that can happen. Picture this. Uh, a child is, is caught up in the game, totally into it. She's chasing the ball around the field, sometimes even getting close enough to kick the ball. And then another player almost accidentally kicks the ball really hard, and it ricochets off her shin bone. Hard enough to startle her. Now, what does she do in that moment? In, in my observation, our little player starts scanning the sidelines. She, she's looking for her godmother, or her uncle, or her mom. She's looking for any adult who she knows and trusts. And if she doesn't see someone quickly, it's very possible that she might start to crumble in that moment. Because the kick to the shins surprised her. Was it a good thing or a bad thing that she blocked the ball? <laughs> what is she supposed to do now? What had been a fun and captivating game is now kind of frightening and disorienting. But on the other if after blocking that kid, our newbie soccer player looks up and she sees her adult fan club cheering her on, well, her response is probably going to be kind of different, right? If she hears, good job, or, or if she hears, wow, what a great play, well, it's likely she's going to break out into a heat dream and go right back to the game, getting captured. There have been more than a few moments over the past two years when I have been that little soccer player on the field, scanning the sidelines, looking for somebody to tell me 
which way to go. That things are going to be okay. That I don't need to be so overwhelmed and turned around and confused. I need someone who can shout to me, you're going in the right direction. I wonder if maybe that's how Cleopas and the other of Jesus' followers, maybe it was Cleopas' wife, I wonder if that's what they felt on the road to Emmaus. They were making their way out of Jerusalem, away from the chaos and the heartbreak of Calvary. They're thinking about Jesus. They had hoped he would be the one to redeem Israel. I wonder if you can hear the despair in their voices. And then, Seemingly out of nowhere, there's probably other people going in both directions. A stranger joins them, and he just happens to be traveling in the same direction. It's Jesus, of course, but they don't recognize him for a little while. But finally, as our passage proceeds, Jesus revealed himself to those two disciples by interpreting scripture and by breaking bread. Yesterday morning, Dr. Elizabeth Pierre led us to reflect over these past two years, with so much that has surprised us and shocked us, we need some time to simply notice God's presence with us. I want to suggest to you this morning is that when we remember that our Father God has not forgotten or abandoned, when we remember that, that nothing we've experienced can keep Jesus from drawing close to us. When we remember that no spirit of deception or confusion can keep the spirit of truth from us. When we remember, then a transformative space opens up before us. It happened to those two discouraged disciples as Jesus opened scripture and broke bread. Jesus converts our despair into delight. This isn't to say that the sources of our despair will automatically disappear. But Jesus makes his home among the people facing despair. And neither do I mean that we will only feel delight. But the delight in our Savior becomes the interpretive filter for the rest of our varied emotions in these uncertain Jesus converts our despair to light. Picture the disciples. They're walking. And then they encounter the stranger, and the passage says they stood still, looking sad. I, I picture two people so caught up in their grief that they hardly know that they're walking. And, and then they hardly recognize that they stopped walking. They are having an embodied experience of a profound grief. In their muscles, in their blood vessels, in their minds, in their nerve endings, they are carrying grief. It's worth asking where you are carrying grief today. How in your body you are carrying loss, lament, sorrow, in ways that maybe you are aware. And they 
their grief, they are, they are searching for something that they can't quite name. Authors Mitchell and Anderson in their book about grief, all our losses, all our griefs, they say searching is a common pattern in grief. It is usual to search for what is lost even when at some level we are aware that it is irretrievably gone. The disciples know that Jesus is dying. They've heard the stories and not seen the cross with their own eyes. And yet there's something in them that is still searching, still looking. What are, what are you looking for in your life? What is it that we might be searching for consciously or not on the backside of these two years. Some of us are searching for stability. Some of us are searching for the plan that we had implicitly defined in our own heads. A plan for a spouse, for a different career situation, a plan for a family which looked a certain kind of way. Some of us are searching for peace. Some of us, in a very real way, are searching for loved ones who lost or lose hope. The grief that the disciples are experiencing is a consuming grief. It's a grief which, as Dr. Beer talked about yesterday, is a kind of cloud. Jesus said, what are you talking about? He knows, of course. And the disciples respond almost incredulously. Walked their own betrayal and abandonment of Jesus. How they ran and hide. 
And now they are helpless to change anything in the past. They were helpless to intervene. They are helpless to change their part in this story. In addition to feeling helpless, there was some hopelessness. They say as much in verse 29, 21, we had hopes that he was the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped that Jesus was going to be the Messiah. We had hoped that Jesus would defeat Rome, that he would cleanse the temple, that he would restore our ancestral lands and return the exiles. We had hopes. We had hoped for the implications of his Messiahship. Life would be different. Life would be better. But now, now they struggle to even imagine their future. They are hopeless. They experience helplessness. And this situation of grief leads them to a place of despair. They are overwhelmed by the, the kind of uh, ambiguity of what they've been through. There is no one singular thing. Their whole world has crashed down around them. About a year ago, last spring, I had a, my appointment with my spiritual director coming up. And since COVID, we were doing it over, over Zoom. But it was a nice day. It was, it was kind of like yesterday. Anybody enjoyed yesterday? Woo! Anybody get surprised by the weather this morning? <laughs> <laughs> so I texted her and I said, would it be okay if we get a phone call? So I walked. I walked a long way to that phone call. Because I was feeling that kind of ambiguous grief. I was feeling sad. And I couldn't quite describe why. There was too many things, too many layers. It was complicated. And in her tender and caring way, over the course of an hour, maybe it was four hours, I really don't know. But I kind of paced up and down along the way. My spiritual director just by the time we finally hung up, that, that sense of ambiguity had faded because now I had language. Now I could name some particular things. I, I could, with some specificity, say, well, this is why I am sad. This is why my spirit is low. This is why I am discouraged. She didn't make it all miraculously disappear. But she did remove that cloud of ambiguity for me. I think this is what Jesus does for his disciples. Jesus asks them some questions, and he helps them narrate their story. He helps them describe their experience and their emotions. So the disciples begin to spell it out for Jesus. Here's what happened. Here's what we are feeling. And in so doing, Jesus opens the door for the truth to be spoken. And of course, truth is always a prerequisite for healing, and so the door for healing starts to open. Address the grief specifically. Because naming the grief begins to push away the despair. The grief is still there, but the despair and the power of the clouded ambiguity of despair begins to dissipate. Somebody say amen. 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 That's good. And in so doing, space opens up for the truth. 
of these two heroes. I wonder if you have paused long enough to get specific about the losses of these past two years, about the places of grief, and yes, about the places of God's provision as well. Because here's what we tend to say, it's been a lot. That's true. They don't really mean anything. How are you doing? I'm just like everybody else. Okay, yes, we're all of us together. That's true. The fact of the matter is that the shape of Dennis's experience is different than the shape of my experience. And the precise nature of, of, of the loss that Sonia has experienced is different than the precise nature of the losses I've experienced. And I'm afraid that because it has been so much and so consistent and so quick, that we've contented ourselves with just general descriptions of what we've gone through without precisely naming what it is we see, we felt, we lost. Hear the question of Jesus today. Tell me more. Jesus, 
goes in with them to the table where he, he takes the bread, he breaks it, he gives it to them. And, and here we hear the echo from that last supper just before Jesus is arrested and crucified. Sitting at the table with his disciples, Jesus says, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. And this is where everything changes. It's, it's like this, this echo of God's self-giving love snaps everything into relief. It's like something falls away for the disciples. And they realize, wait a second, it's not that our story is over. It's that in some ways our story is just beginning. On that Emmaus road, the disciples found that Jesus was converting Their bodies moved down that road, the cross receding further and further into the background. The disciples' hearts and minds began to comprehend a great reversal. Hmm. Their betrayal, in fact, revealed Jesus' greatness. Their abandonment revealed his covenant. Hmm. Their cowardice revealed his faithfulness. Their doubt yeah. revealed his. And
to open up space for this great reversal in their lives. If we would want to do the same. Yeah. It's the only thing that frightens them. They ask Jesus to stay. They didn't get Jesus to come. They didn't clean themselves up enough to make Jesus welcome. Oh, they did. to strongly say, stay with us because it is almost evening and the day is now nearly over. The only thing the disciples did was to ask Jesus to stay with them. In their despair, they made space for Jesus. In their exhaustion, they made a little bit of space for Jesus. In their confusion, they made some space for Jesus. In their grief, they made space for Jesus. And if they made space, we can make space for Jesus. Exactly where we are today. You see, when we say that, that Jesus converts our despair to delight, we aren't saying that we need to pretend as though the terrible things we've experienced are actually good. I don't need anybody telling me that my uncle's passing from COVID a little over a year ago was actually good. It was not. It was terrible. What Cleopas and, and his companion model for us instead is that we can make space for Jesus in our grief, in our confusion, in the times of uncertain transition. They and the innumerable saints who have followed them over the years show us the possibility of turning to Jesus and saying, please stay in every They show us that our God is a in the midst of God. Yeah, yeah. They show us that we can turn to him in the midst of war and rumors of war. They show us that, 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 that we can turn to him in the midst of the twin pandemics of COVID-19 and systemic racism. Yeah. That we can turn to him in the midst of losing a job or wondering about when the rent money is going to come in. That we can turn to him in the midst of moving to a new city, in the midst of watching a loved one pass, in the midst of gun violence and carjacking. That we can turn to him in the midst of trying to conceive a child, burying a parent, and mourning the loss of our own physical abilities. He is in the midst of God. Thank you, thank you. And because he's in the middle of these seasons of pain, we know that Jesus is also present during the times when we can testify to his provision in our lives. During these two unprecedented years, some of you got the rest that you had been denied. Some of you found a better home. Some of you left a terrible job for more dignified work. Some of you said yes to God's call to marriage. Others of you experienced new depths of the Spirit's care in your singleness. Some of you welcomed children into your family. Some of you saw your ministry touch more lives than you'd previously been able to imagine. So, so even as we bear witness to God's presence in the painful places, we will also choose to celebrate God's presence in those places of visible provision as well. 
Amen. Amen. We can turn to God in the middle of whatever we are going through. Because on Golgotha's cross, Jesus stepped into the middle of everything we have ever Fourth century Egyptian bishop Athanasius said, So he, Jesus, took a mortal body that in it death might henceforth be destroyed utterly, and human beings be renewed again according to the image. Jesus took on your mortal body and stepped into your midst. He stepped into your trauma. He stepped into your ambiguous loss and into your disenfranchised grief. I'm channeling Dr. Peter. <laughs> so that death might henceforth and forever be utterly destroyed and so that you might be renewed. Yes. Hallelujah. Yes. The two disciples recognized Jesus after he broke the and then in the very next moment, the text tells us he vanished from their sight. Now, now, we might think that they would be disappointed or frustrated at this turn of events. Just when they thought Jesus back, he disappeared. That's not what happened. Instead, in the remaining verses, we find utter and complete delight and excitement and urgency. We're not our hearts burning within us while he was not. And so despite the late hour and the dangers of traveling in the dark, they just had to return to Jerusalem to tell the rest of Jesus' followers about what had happened to them. They couldn't see Jesus in the same way that they had earlier along the road, but, but now they knew he was there yeah, yeah. with them, never leaving or forsaking them, which meant that they could no longer see anything else the same. Hmm. What had previously been the grounds for their despair now became sources of delight, beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of happiness. Now in a moment, Pastor Michelle, I will invite you to the Lord's table. As you come, May our Savior's broken body and shed blood be for you was it what it was for those disciples. An open door through which they could see God's presence transforming death into life, despair into life.
you.